Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognize their continuing connection to land, waters, and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Welcome to This Song Is Yours, a music podcast where we chat to a new guest each week, talk about their life and creative endeavours, and talk to them about some of the music they love. Our show works by chatting to our guests about music, but also getting them to make you a playlist of the songs they love. You can find the link to our playlist in the show notes. Welcome to episode 113. I'm your host, Simon Fink. Our guest today is Joshua Moriarty. The multi-talented musician behind bands like Miami Horror and Telenova has just released his third solo record, entitled Melancholia. In today's episode, we're speaking with Josh about his songwriting techniques, how meditation works into his life, and we discuss dream podcast guest lists. Here we go. Our guest today is an extremely talented man. When he's not fronting Miami Horror or playing in Telenova, he's also hosting his own podcast called The Bottom of It, where he speaks with musically like-minded people. This last week saw the release of his third studio record, Melancholia. Please welcome to This Song Is Yours, Joshua Moriarty. Hello. Hello. How are we? Very well, thank you. How are you today? Pretty good. I wake up, I've only just really woken up, but I had a cold shower, so that helps. (laughs) It really fucking does the job, eh? Kind of... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, recommended. It's a not brash, but it's definitely like a a way to do it, like wake up the the quickest in it. In yes, definitely. You enjoy the hot part at the start, and then right at the end, just you know, while you, I like to brush my teeth in the shower. Oh, so yeah. it's usually during the teeth brushing in the morning. That's when the cold comes on, and then. <laughs> Because I do a meditation in the morning, but sometimes I'll fall asleep. So I remember listening to the, uh, that guy, John Kabat-Zinn. He's like the meditation guru king. And he was saying, if that's happening, have a cold shower and then you probably won't fall asleep. And let me tell you, I did not. <laughs> no, that's very fair. That's kind of cool. Do you find, um, do you meditate mostly in the morning? I try and do two a day. Yeah. That's sort of the, the rule that they say, yeah, 20 minutes twice a day. Um, the morning one's easy. Getting one in later is a little trickier. I've just been finding I'm falling asleep a lot during them recently, which didn't used to happen. I don't know what that means. It doesn't, I mean, it's not supposed to mean anything really because there's no rules to it. But I think once I heard the thing about trying to stay awake, if you can, then the cold shower thing's definitely been helping. Are you a meditator as well? I've been trying to lately, been um, trying to get like the 20 minutes in at the end of the day. But then I find, as you said, like I I just fall asleep and then I feel like I've cheated my way out of a meditation. If that, like I haven't really done the job, have I? 
<laughs> I think there's no, well, they say there's no rule. Like if you fall asleep, then that's just what happens. Like you can't, you're not supposed, there's no expectation supposed to be put on it whatsoever. There's no good, bad, right or wrong as long as you set the 20 minutes aside. And um, my one's like a mantra based one. So as long as you're doing, you're saying your mantra and just that's it. So it's kind of nice at the end of the day anyway, don't you find like kind of a wind down way to sort of shut the brain off before you go to bed. Well, try not shut the brain off, just like try and, you know, just just ease a few of the racing thoughts. That's honestly the what kind of got me inspired was like if I can clear clear the mental desk even slightly. Um, yeah. And I'm trying to do it right. Yeah, good. Are you been... What's the sort of meditation you're doing? If you do do the an app, is it like Headspace or something like that, or what? <laughs> it is Headspace. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, like, I like to call it Bald Headspace because that guy's got such a giant, <laughs> giant noggin. But he's uh, he's really lovely. He's got a good energy. That guy, doesn't he? It's just such uh, Andy. Such Andy, a lovely demeanor. Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah, that's kind of where I started was with Headspace and then yeah. went and saw a um, proper like Vedic meditation teacher after sort of a few years of doing Headspace. It's a really great place to start. Do you find that meditation, I guess, do, does meditation play a role um, within your music in how you kind of approach um your music, if that makes sense. No, not at all. It has nothing to do no, with that for me. Nah, <laughs> it, it's sort of just like a, the meditation things. Just um, it they t- the world tells you that it makes you feel better, and it's sort of like a c- global consensus that it's good for you. So I've just been <laughs> doing it for that reason. <laughs> I think if I didn't do it, I'd feel worse. I don't feel like amazingly different from doing it, but I definitely notice if I skip it for a while. I start to get a little more irritable. But other than that, there's not really much more to it. It's just like, I don't know, taking a really mild Panadol or something, you know, it's the, it doesn't, yeah, I don't think it really affects. Yeah. I didn't meditate for years. The way I write and approach music hasn't changed. So I think that's probably, yeah. Yeah, it's a separate entity from I think, I the think music so. itself. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, that's very fair. Um, we are talking today because your new record, the third studio record from yourself, um, Melancholia, is out now. Congratulations. Thank you. Wow, it's out. Okay, sure. Out. There we go. <laughs> uh, I'm sensing a, a little bit of a theme because the previous record was Romantica. This one uh, is Melancholia. What's next? Well, yeah, I'm... I'm <laughs> I'm trying to work out what's next and and whether um, yeah, there's a bit of a theme going here. Yeah, what ears are left if we've taken them into <laughs> oh, it's a okay. ear. Yeah, it's okay. It just has to end in an A, really, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, gosh, I have no idea. I feel like no, it's true. You probably should do a trilogy, but it is the the first one feels very different to the last than Melancholy and Romantica. So probably should do one more. That's this in the same world <laughs> i don't think it will be as the melancholia one's a little bit depressing well a little bit sad so the next one won't be as sad i don't think i don't actually maybe i'm lying god damn it 
<laughs> I think that as soon as it's like, as soon as I open my mouth and start singing, it ends up being a bit sad boy sometimes. Whereas Romantica was just mostly instrumental, so I didn't have to say anything sad. That's fair. I can I can appreciate that. Yeah. With with the titles and, and some of the... They are gorgeous songs, by the way, on this new record. They're sonically... Um, yeah, sonically just gorgeous. Thank you. I think as well, and, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but um, there's obviously these records under your own name. You are part of Telenova and Miami Horror, but there's something about the, the songwriting structure in these as well that are almost like a little bit romantic, like they're traditional in a way, but not... Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that stuff so much. I love Frank Sinatra. I love Elvis. I love Scott Walker. All the crooners. Um, that's such a huge part of what I really, really enjoy. I think I just, in my mind, I want to be not Alvis because he sort of got a bit more rockabilly or something, but yeah, basically just like Dean Martin or someone <laughs> like that. So yeah, I think that's always, that's sort of going to permanently be in there from now on. I think it, um, a little earlier, like through my 20s maybe, I kind of was more obsessed with funk and prints and stuff, which tied in with the Miami horror thing. But I think as I've gotten older now, it's just like more, yeah, romantic, classic, piano man style is what I what I really, really go for. Do you think that that romantic kind of... um. Uh, I want to say like appreciation. Do you think that was always kind of there, but as a younger, like, as you said, younger person, you're more interested in funk. Do you think it took a while to kind of like allow that persona out? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I've never really thought about it, but I suppose, yeah, I guess just maturing a little. And I guess also like my ears changing, the sort of sounds that I started to appreciate or the sound I started to appreciate more. I think I always loved elegant, sort of beautiful music, but I also was more of a rock guy growing up as a teenager or something as well. So there's sort of different parts of your musical personality you need to get out of your system. (laughs) But I think... Yeah, just kind of as I've gotten older. I think it's also that music's just so, you know, the composers like Henry Mancini and Les Baxter and Martin Denny, those are all the people that were influences on the Romantica one. There's a handful of these 50s composers. I mean, people know Henry Mancini and they know um, Ennio Morricone, but then there's a couple of other ones that are a little more... um, a little less well-known. But yeah, I just got obsessed with listening to them. And they're so nice to put on at the background of every dinner party. Or I I just found myself always putting it on because no one, everyone was happy to hear it. It's like, wow, this is really lovely. What's this? Whereas um, other music that that you'd put on, I don't know, it it seemed like a, a unifying, beautiful sound of music that everyone could kind of relate to and everyone has this nostalgic connection to this other, this old world where things were just beautiful <laughs> and everyone was in love and it was nice and you had like, like heartache, but it was 
I don't know. It's like this romanticized idea of what a world. It was probably. It's like it, when you really think about it, there was all sorts of dangerous, dodgy shit going on below the surface. <laughs> there was intense racism, all of that. But like on paper, when you look at that time, it's like wow, it looks so, so beautiful and charming. I think that's actually a really good point. I think that because sometimes. Um, like it might be generally classified um, like some of those composers as, as you said, dinner party music. And I feel like sometimes it gets a little bit of a bad rap, but it is, it's universally usually enjoyed by those people. And it is maybe like a romanticized nostalgia of just, yeah. Yeah. What was, what was previously before us? Yeah, I just became obsessed with it and it hasn't gone away for a really long time. <laughs> and it's sort of, I guess it sort of weaves and changes and moves into some different directions. But yeah, it makes my heart feel warm and fuzzy. So <laughs> I think that's why I'm, why I'm still doing it. No, please, please continue to keep doing it. As I said, these um these songs are they're they're, they're great. They're, I think as um as someone who you do have uh, your hand in many musical kind of pies to <laughs> to not come up with a, a better word for it. Um, and <laughs> I think also as a producer, you kind of, you, this album has like flourishes that I just think that you can tell that you are a producer as well as not just like a, a front man for the band and that you have a hand in, in making sure that these songs are kind of, um, not as true to the original, but if you're if you're like paying homage, that you're actually doing it kind of properly as well. Yeah, well, a lot of that. I mean, the romantical one was mostly me producing it. I had another friend, Jack Arantz, who Arantz, Arantz. I never really knew how to say his last name. Uh, he's a guy in Melbourne, but with the new one, Tony Buchan is the producer, and we sort of. I mean, he. I add a lot of flourishes and bring a lot to it, but he added so much as well, and he. He kind of, man, he's a, he's amazing. He's so he's a, a guy from Sydney, and he'd moved to Los Angeles. And I had met him through Miami Horror, but I was living in LA, and he'd moved there with his family. And we kind of ran into each other again and reconnected. And then we just really, once we started working together, we both knew the exact same. We knew what it needed to be. We knew the same influences. We we both just kind of completely connected on exactly what the style of the songs needed to be. But a lot of the magic is Tony kind of doing his thing as well. I mean, I produce a lot and I have been producing a lot more recently, but I got to hand it to him the production on that records. Tony Buchan, he's a legend. <laughs> Do you find when you're not, like, are you more kind of keeping an eye on someone as having a, like a producer background as well? Do you kind of, hover over and see what he's doing or do you like to kind of keep your hands clean if, if someone else is? With this was kind of like the f- one of the first... No, that's not true. I've let other people... Um, I kind of... This one I definitely was... It was exciting for me to bring in songs that I just had the chords and the melody and the lyrics done and discuss with Tony how we would do it rather than having like a shitty demo already. Some of them was like just basically 
you know, the single we're coming back, I had the piano and the vocal recorded. And then he suggested that drum style and arranged a few other people to come and, you know, we got the girls to sing on it, doing the backing vocals. The song Isolation, which was uh, another one, the first one we did, I just had the chords on the guitar and we just kind of did that one together. We both knew it sort of needed to be slow, like Pink Floyd air kind of sounding. Uh, yeah, but yeah, he had a lot. We just, and then with, there's a song called Let Me Down Easy. It's like a duet one. We both knew we wanted something really ominous and creepy, like Scott Walker style where the strings are just sort of brooding in the background because it's kind of classic structure and uh, sort of classic songs. Like we need to do something that makes it, feel make you feel a little queasier a little more on edge otherwise it could just borderline on saccharin so i think that but yeah we both had the same sort of idea for that one then he put all these flutes on it that he plays himself all these flute flourishes guy's a freak yeah (laughs) tony buchan i can't stop um recommending him enough yeah but it was really fun and no I, i sort of tried to get out of the way this time i would go back to melbourne and record a bunch of extra parts and things for the songs myself. And then when I'd go back over to LA, we'd we'd, um, drop them into the sessions and into the songs. But this was one of the ones where I really felt a lot of trust for him and knew that he was on the same page as me and kind of just sat back a lot and just closed my eyes and listened and let him do his thing. That's very commendable. Like I I imagine that it... That it is difficult to not, especially if if he knows what he's doing and you've got that trust level already kind of built up. I imagine it's quite good, but sometimes having uh, maybe this is just me personally um, having like a background in something, I would find it difficult to to like just go on the ride fully and not be able to yeah, you of, gotta you gotta trust somebody don't you <laughs> you definitely you definitely do and i think there's a few times when maybe i'm feeling was you know was sensing something going in a direction maybe that i was like not entirely sure but just let it go i just sort of would let it go and then i would usually both know the next day whether it was any good but you gotta just let you've gotta give the time for an idea to be tried. Otherwise you just stifle everything and you'll never get anything done, right? It's a it's a difficult balance trying to figure out how to actually Yeah, let you slip let things go. It might just be me. I might just have trust issues. That might be a thing I need to No, <laughs> no, Simon Simon, we all we all have that for sure. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's not just you. But yeah, you gotta Maybe you just haven't met anyone that you could properly trust yet. <laughs> I yeah, I, I do have a partner, and she, she she's all right. That's but that that's a different story. That's a different podcast. <laughs> the the as, as we mentioned, not just uh, your own solo project, but there's Telenova, which came out with some um, music uh, earlier this year, and Miami Horror as well when you are sitting down to kind of write or when you get inspired to, to write music, how do you approach? Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. 
Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I guess each singular project, or is it that you just kind of write and as you're writing, uh, whichever project it might be applicable for presents itself as, as you're kind of going through it? Probably more that than anything else but I also don't get inspired I sort of talked about this a bit before I think I was was talking to my sister about it the other day and a friend of us like I reckon I've been inspired maybe I get inspired once a year for the last 20 years where you actually go wow I really feel like sitting at the piano something something's brewing inside of me I need to express myself the rest of the time it's just you just got to do it. You've just got to pick up an instrument or you've got to play your piano or you've got to sit at the computer and experiment. It's more just putting, it's the, you know, it's the like turning up to work side of it that gets things done. The inspiration part is, I just don't really even believe in it that much. I think it's just more about, yeah, just getting, getting, <laughs> getting your hands dirty is what, what works. But uh, with Telenova, we, get together two or three times a week and usually we say today is a new song day, probably most days actually, probably twice a weekend. We just press the button and go. So I don't usually have anything pre-prepared, but we know the sorts of drum sounds that we like. I usually just play the piano and come up with some chords and sometimes it's dog shit and other times... It's really, we all vibe it and it feels good with the same, I guess with my own stuff, a lot of it's sitting at the piano across, you know, six months of just randomly bits and pieces that have come into my head when I just feel like playing or things that I've come up with on guitar or something on the computer. It's, and then, yeah, it's, it does, they do find homes, I think. It's nice to have a few different projects so that you can choose which one belongs to which place. And there's a few that don't even have homes anymore. I, I had a rock band for years called All the Colors, but now all of my any sort of rock stuff has nowhere to go anymore. So I'm sort of rock constipated, but <laughs> that's okay. It'll, it'll find its way out somewhere. I got another good friend of mine. His name's... Uh, Robbie Coleman. The project is R.F. Coleman. And we're putting a lot of um, musical ideas and sort of that's another place that I'm channeling a lot of stuff at the moment. 
as well. And that's more coming up with things on the computer first, more so than on piano or guitar, which is kind of new for me really to be writing in that way, like mucking around with samples and finding drum beats and things first. And yeah, I've been really enjoying that actually, not having to strum an acoustic as the sort of initial starting place. It's like I find a new way of creating because writing on piano and guitar I've been doing for such a long time that it no, it's not stale by any means. There's always, you know, yeah, there's always more there, but the computer beats sample way of writing's just been my current where a lot of my enjoyment's been coming from with making music recently. Do you find I guess um what's the best term, like tinkering away at different kind of things helps in uh, unlocking not new interests. Yeah. yeah. Totally, man. I usually it's like the I call it the ten to twelve shift so from 10 p.m to midnight i'll usually sit on ableton and it's tinker time and just (laughs) cutting up samples finding different pieces of things that i've like it started with lockdown when the first lockdown happened because i had all this music that i'd like saved away in little folders and i'd always kind of wanted to I don't muck around like avalanche style or something, just cutting up a bunch of different pieces because I'd never really done that before. And then that's where a lot of this new material has kind of manifested from. I think my Ableton computer music skills got a lot better during the last couple of years. I I don't know. Yeah, I guess I just, maybe it's because I don't know. I had the time to actually really, do it because there was nothing else to do. <laughs> um, I watched a lot of Netflix like everybody else as well. Don't get me wrong, but um, did spend a lot of time working on music in that way. And yeah, the tinkering, it's just like maybe one night you tinker with three or four ideas and you get them 20% of an idea down. And then the next night I fire it up again and you're like, Oh, that, that bit's actually pretty cool. That bit's a bit shitty. Let's take that out. Let's add this, spend half, half an hour on something, move it on to the next one. And then by the end of a week, you've got four or five more than half baked ideas. You know, they, they start to have some form. And then if one suits Telenova, then we'll get Ange and Ed to work on it with me. If the other one works for, Arif Coleman, the guy I've been working with, I get him to sing on it and just sort of piece them together that way. They're not really that style. I don't think suits my solo music. So I haven't really been writing so much for myself. It's been for a lot of other people recently, but yeah, it's been fun. Did you find throughout, I guess, lockdown and as we just discussed, there wasn't a lot to do and there's only so much kind of streaming services you can, um, engage with uh (laughs) yeah were you quick to kind of find yourself in the studio or we've spoken to some people that found it difficult to actually focus on even trying to you know play around or songwrite just because when everything initially happened it was kind of i think bigger things at play uh i don't pay any attention to the news i don't watch it i don't have any news apps I stay away from all of it. I never knew the stats or the numbers of COVID or anything. I don't care. Well, that's not true. I don't not care, but I sort of, I don't need information that I have no control over 
in my mind. Just, yeah, constant <laughs> yeah. reminder of it. Yeah, I don't need it. So I stay away from all that shit. So no, nah, man, it was it was awesome. The first <laughs> like month or whatever, I was like, this is so cool. Just locked in my little hidey hole in my home studio and just sort of turned the world off and got all of these ideas that I'd always wanted to create and do done. It turned out a lot of them are shit, but at, <laughs> le- at least I got I got to know. You know, it was like all this potential. I'm like, oh, actually, it turns out there wasn't that any potential at all. <laughs> but at least I could tick it off the to do list. No, I, ha- I don't. I don't ever find making like I was saying. There's no. I don't. Inspiration means nothing to me. Um, difficulty, blah blah. It's all that's all bullshit to me. I'm yeah. sure it's, everyone's different. You know, I'm not saying everyone has their own different ways to approach things. But for me, no, none of that makes any difference. I just I've always worked. I will continue to always work. And peripheral things going on doesn't affect my ability to get stuff done. Yeah, I I feel like the, the output, as I've said, uh, solo stuff, Telenova. Mami Hara, you are consistently working. And one thing I did want to touch on as well um, was the podcast because you're a busy man. Um, you've also got the bottom of it, which you kind of uh, delve deeper into like other creatives um, drive and I guess what pushes them to, to do what they do. Where did that start from initially? Yeah, it started because... I was hanging out in LA and over the years of being in bands, had met a lot of really cool, interesting musicians and artists that I that were people that I was really inspired by that were now sort of becoming friends. And I think I wanted to be able to ask them all of the like fanboy nerdy <laughs> questions, but didn't but I knew that you just don't do that when you meet people as you know when you're just hanging out and meeting people for the first time or as as friends instead of it's a bit much to start delving into those sorts of things that you really want to know so i thought the best way to do it would be to do it in a podcast format then i can make them the center of attention make them feel special and not make them feel weird when we're just out having lunch or a coffee that I'm asking them <laughs> questions that are a little too personal perhaps so that's really where it started and yeah, it's been going for what, like five years now. It's getting a little, it's slowed down when everything, when the world slowed down, I'm sort of kicking it back into gear again. Now, I didn't want to do many online. I've only done it three maybe over Skype, Zoom, whatever we call it these days. Uh, and the rest were all, have always been in person. And I want to keep that because I, to me, the quality is more important than the quantity. So it's been a little slow recently, but I'm starting, there's people, excuse me, around in Melbourne and I'm starting to go back on tour with Miami Horror and head back around Australia and the world again. So I'll be able to get some more going, which is fun. There's just so many podcasts now as well. I think I got a little bit, turned off when there just became far too many. I was like, wow, I'm just another asshole making a podcast as are you, Simon, <laughs> as, as, as is everybody. But, um, you, you know, yeah. you can't let, you can't let 
other people doing something that you do stop you from doing what you do because that's just life, isn't it? Everyone's doing everything <laughs> all the time. Is um is there anyone that because you've had quite an impressive guest list? Like um, I know before we started recording, we were talking about Chris Waller. Um, I think you've had Chris Taylor from Grizzly Bear, Greta Ray. Like, is there anyone that's on the list that you're kind of like a, I guess dream dream guest list? Oh, like who's still to come that I want to get? Yeah, like or do, who do you, was? Yeah, there's a big someone list that, of people that. Are, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really, I've got to. I know it's going to happen. I got to get Brett McKenzie from Flight of the Concords. It's not <laughs> going to be that difficult because his kids go to school with my cousin's kids in Wellington, and I'm from Wellington. It's like it's just kind of easy because you're, hey, bro. You're a Wellington, yeah, sweet. It, like, it, I'm sure I'll be able to make that one happen. So he's one who's um, who's on the list. I just haven't had a chance to sort of make it happen because I haven't been back to New Zealand for a few years now. Obviously, um, gosh, who else is on my list? I'm hopefully going to speak to Baker Boy soon, which should be fun. But it's not like he's dream guest. I think his music's really cool, but I, I'm not. I haven't known him. His, about his music for that long. It's not like a sh- deeply personal someone that I've known for years and years. There's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, not I really, no, no. I really want to speak to Wes Bolland from Limp Bizkit, the guitar player. He's one that I've been trying, trying to chase down. I had him for like a period where he emailed me back and his assistant were like, yep, let's do it when I was in LA. And then they just vanished off the email. Like they just no longer responded anymore. Um... Someone from Corn would be quite fun. This sort of just like the teenage the bands from when I was a teenager, I guess, right? Like those, that was a lot of new metal. Oh, Kim Thale from Soundgarden, the guitar player. He's someone that I really, really want to get. I've been working on that recently, cool. actually. That reminds me, I need to chase up that email and see if I can get that one to happen. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's heaps on the on the the bucket list. How about you? Who, who have you? Who do you really want to get? Oh gosh, um, uh, Phoebe Bridges would be a um, oh yeah, I think sure. Would be quite I remember to chat too. I remember trying that quite a few years ago, and no response from anyone in her PR or management department. <laughs> Similar results here, my friend. Similar results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, look, I know it's slightly controversial. I think. Um, John Mayer has like a very interesting mind and approach to his music and in interviews it's an, it's an interesting conversationalist. So I think that would be um, what's, an interesting why is it contra- What's controversial about that? Am I missing something? I think he's just these days somewhat not a divisive figure, but I think some people look back on previous interviews that he did and uh, think that he's a bit of an idiot. Why is he like a sexist, racist, or something? Is it like cancel, cancelly? Uh, like borderline, like borderline cancelly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't really care. I don't really care about fringe cancelly. <laughs> I reckon I'm fucking fringe cancelly, probably. So <laughs> I reckon everyone's fringe cancelly, to be honest. And that's why it's like, come on, man. Like no one's. No one's fucking perfect. I actually just went back and deleted like every single one of my Facebook posts from the last 10 years because I was like, there's probably something French cancelly <laughs> there that I just couldn't be bothered dealing with. So I just thought, oh, that like stupid joke I made in 2012 
Not that I'm even famous enough for that to happen, but I was like, fuck it. I just don't, I can't be bothered dealing with that. Uh, no, 100% though. These days, it's now, you now have to like really think about your history of anything that you've done just in terms of... Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I know. So now get, get John Mayer, man. Don't worry. Also, just like... Um, just because someone said something that someone doesn't agree with them, like it doesn't mean that you suddenly just like no longer can't engage with them at all. Wouldn't it be good to talk to them about that and see what their actual opinions and thoughts are instead of just fucking pressing mute on somebody? 100%. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, and it, like we'll, we'll move away from the fringe cancelling. Um, Josh, usually we would ask um, our guests what they're currently listening to. Is there anything that is kind of getting a, um, a thorough playing on your streaming service or record player respectively? No record player. I have so many vinyls, but I haven't had a player for such a long time. I need to get it. Uh, I'm just looking through my iTunes now because I like to buy things on iTunes. Otherwise, it just gets lost in the Spotify sort of confusion realm. Okay, what have I got here? The You know that band Villages, the Irish guy? Yeah. Yeah, he's sick. He's got a new record called Fever Dreams. That's really, really nice. I've been listening to Supergrass again. I love Supergrass. I always <laughs> listen to them. I'm a huge fan. Uh, the Shadows, which was Cliff Richard's band from the 60s, kind of like um, they sound like a Pulp Fiction soundtrack, a little bit cowboy kind of guitar, a little bit mystery, you know, um, how do I even describe that sound? Yeah, you know, like 60s, like cowboy mystery. Um, that kind of thing. Not spaghetti west. Yeah, like. a, little bit, a little bit like that. Totally. Mm. They're really cool. Um, there's a band called the, Lim, the Limignanas. I think they're a French band that have been around the last 10, 15 years. They've got some really cool records. I don't. It's not like there's a specific song, but you just listen to the whole record, and it's similar in sound to that thing that I was talking about with the shadows. A little bit, um, not psychedelic, but kind of rock and cowboy and '60s sounding, which I really like. I guess that must be the sound that I'm into at the moment because oh, and there's a woman named Molly Lewis. She's from LA. She's a whistler. And she's the like whistler? the, yeah, Whistler. She's the great Whistler. So <laughs> her music sounds like all that romantic stuff that I was talking about, but the lead, instead of a lead vocal, it's a lead whistle. And the music video, she's got a great video. I think it's for her song, Oceanic Feeling. It's got John C. Riley pretending to play the saxophone in it. She's got a lot of cool connects in <laughs> LA. So Molly Lewis. Then, geez, I was listening to the first System of a Down record yesterday, which I hadn't really listened to in such a long time. That was really fun. Whenever I'm working out, I just go back to old rock and new metal. Lots of Rage Against the Machine recently. I don't know, just Zach from Rage seems as sort of his message never seems to not be pertinent. <laughs> yeah, and 100%. yeah, listening again. Like, wow, man, you guys are just like 
for me, I, I pr- probably would say I think they are the greatest rock band of all time. I like, I think they shit on Zeppelin for the just for the fact that it, the message is so pure and strong. Zach is so forceful and completely like, you know, I love Robert Plant, don't get me wrong, but it's baby, 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 oh, 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 oh. <laughs> you know, like sometimes it's just fucking shut up, stop saying baby, but sleep now in the fire and testify and things that just, they kind of fucking get you so amped, don't they? 100%. I think that well, I'm just echoing what you've said at this point, but like the message is, it's just there and it's never waned. It's never kind of faltered. Even now the stuff that um, like Tom Morello and, and Zach are doing separately is still within that same kind of ballpark. Still pushing yeah. it, but it's always the same message. They're, they're, they're true to themselves, which is impressive. Yeah, yeah, they've never stopped being that. And those riffs are ginormous. The band sounds huge with Zach fronting it. It's sort of just undeniable. As far as rock goes, you kind of when you listen to it, you fucking get really excited and you, it's, it's like, it's almost like it works on everybody, you know? So, and because it's not Limp Bizkit, it's not break stuff and it's not dumb and fratty. I think that's what makes it so, so special. I imagine that they sort of have probably had a bit of some problems with idiots using their songs and thinking that it's about some, you know, I, I guess, yeah, someone was talking the other day about um, the fuck you, I won't do what you tell me kind of being used by particular groups for the message that obviously it's not something that Zach would agree with, which must be difficult sometimes for someone like that, but how you can't control what your, what your music does. So sort of like born in the USA, right? Like same sort of situation with Springsteen where it's a protest sort of song, but people start to use it for the wrong message. I think that some of, yeah, they get picked up and they're, um, I don't think if they actually read into the song, they literally go for it on surface value. And then. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was one recently, someone, um, someone tweeted about rage saying that like, I can't believe this band is, you know, politically um, addressing these things. Like I won't listen to Rage Against the Machine again. And uh, Tom Morello just tweeted back being like, what did you think? Like, what did you think we were raging against this whole time? It's um, yeah. Anyway. Wow. What? Okay. So someone just got it completely wrong. I think someone just was like so, so off the mark and had taken it on such surface value that when they'd heard that they were political, it was like, oh, you haven't done your research at all. <laughs> Wow. I like that Tom Morello tweeted back. <laughs> you have to, right? <laughs> yeah. I saw someone say the other uh, the other day that they never specified what machine they were raging against and then they thought that maybe it was the dishwasher when it wasn't working. <laughs> or I think it, mine's the dryer. My dryer just does not work properly and it drives me mad and I've definitely raged against it quite a few times. I think mine is maybe the modem, but that's, you know, that's oh, easily, yeah. easily replaced. Yeah, that is real. I don't know if I'm more like Rage Against Telstra than the modem. And I guess they are the machine. <laughs> then, so <laughs> I feel like this links all back. They are the machine yeah. that we were originally raging against. <laughs> <laughs> um, Josh, thank you very much for coming on to the podcast today. I do appreciate it. My and uh, congratulations again on um, Melancholia. 
Thank you, Simon. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. And that's our show. A massive thank you to Joshua Moriarty for his time. Melancholia is out now and we've left links in the show notes if you'd like to stream the record or buy tickets to the record launch. We also want to give a huge shout out to Elise of Anthologies for helping out with today's interview. You can find a link to our Spotify playlist in the show notes where you'll be able to listen to all of our guests' picks. If you like this show, please subscribe wherever you get your pods and stay up to date when new episodes are released. We release new shows each Thursday and Friday morning with guest playlists streaming on Spotify at the same time. You can follow the playlist profile on Spotify and you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok. Until next week, cheers. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.